Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Hello there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you so much for joining me for another week of travel information, keeping hope alive. <laughs> Be sure to sign up for the newsletter, connect with me on social media, and join the travel club. You can do all of it at TravelingCulturati.com. Today, healthcare professional Yolanda Como will join me with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. In it, she's sharing what the healthcare experts are saying about traveling during the pandemic and providing tips for those who do. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into some travel news. The FCC has officially blocked the new proposal to allow phone calls on planes. This has actually been gone going since 2013. So phone calls won't be allowed on planes anytime soon. As I mentioned earlier, since 2013, the FCC has been considering a proposal to allow in-flight phone calls from cell phones. Last week, they closed the door on that notion. Those firmly against it are pilots and flight attendants. The rejected proposal would have allowed passengers to make cell phone calls above 10,000 feet. In its ruling, the FCC wrote, the record is insufficient to determine any reasonable solution that would strike an appropriate balance of competing interests. Adding, there is strong opposition to the commission's proposals from many commenters. In this proceeding, including our nation's airline pilots and flight attendants who argue that it fails to address significant safety and national security concerns. We all know cell phone calls on planes is a bad idea. Can you imagine the loud talker, the inappropriate conversation, the never ending phone call, you're trying to sleep and the person next to you is chatting away? Now multiply that with numerous people on the phone at the same time. It would be like when smoking was allowed. As soon as the light goes off and the pilot makes that announcement, all phones will be turned on and conversations in multiple languages will ensue. I think they would need a cell phone section if that were to happen. Africa has defied the COVID-19 nightmare scenarios and we shouldn't be surprised. Here's why. After the novel coronavirus first appeared in Africa in late February, Ghana's government decided it would take no chances. Ghanaian citizens were soon put under lockdown and travel between major cities were banned. Then the president announced the closure of the country's land and sea borders. Now I have relatives in South Africa and they shared how strict South Africa was with a lockdown, even prohibiting liquor sales. They could not even go outside on a regular basis. They had scheduled and monitored structure. Now early on news reports and opinion articles expected and predicted that corruption and a lack of healthcare infrastructure meant that Africa was going to be a nightmare. The continent was expected to fall apart under the weight of a public health emergency. Now, according to some experts, they warned that the world should prepare to offer aid to African governments. None of that happened. Well, why is this so? Remember Ebola, the outbreak from 2013 to 2016? Well, that left a number of West African nations with a pandemic responsive infrastructure. And consider Liberia, they lost about 5,000 people to Ebola. So at the beginning of this year, Liberia began screening for COVID-19 at the airports. Travelers coming in from countries with more than 200 cases were quarantined. And to date, Liberia, a country of some 5 million, has 1,335 cases and around 82 deaths. Now, after the Ebola pandemic, Senegal set up an emergency operations center to manage public health crisis. Some COVID test results came back in 24 hours and the country employs aggressive contact tracing. Now, every coronavirus patient is given a bed in a hospital or 
other healthcare facilities. Senegal has a population of 16 million, but has only 302 registered deaths. Several countries have come up with innovations, like Rwanda, a country of 12 million. They also responded early and aggressively to the virus, using equipment and infrastructure that was in place to deal with HIV and AIDS. Testing and treatment for the virus are free and Rwanda has recorded only 26 deaths. The West seems blind or maybe even baffled to Africa's successes, almost to the point of arrogance. A few months ago, the BBC came under fire for a since-changed headline and a tweet that read, coronavirus in Africa. Could poverty explain mystery of low death rate? The New York Post published an article with the headline, Scientists Can't Explain Puzzling Lack of Coronavirus Outbreaks in Africa. Now, these publications have since come out with different op-eds, but it's almost as if the West is disappointed that Africa didn't fail at handling the pandemic and therefore needed to be saved. The media and the rest of the world has largely ignored the policy successes out of Africa in handling the pandemic. Not saying every country in Africa has been perfect with the handling of the pandemic, but there have been successes, and in some countries, major successes resulting in low infection and death rates. Croatia is definitely a destination that you may want to consider because their borders have been open to all citizens, including from the United States since the summer. And we've been banned from pretty much most other European destinations. Now, Croatia closed itself off early in the spring to keep coronavirus infections low, and they hit zero reported cases within its borders in May. They then reopened to visitors from all countries in July with testing requirements in place. The move made Croatia the only nation in the European Union to accept travelers from the United States at that time. That continental distinction has not changed even as Croatia's cases have risen and as it implemented a partial national shutdown last week. That included closing bars and restaurants and banning weddings through Christmas. Now, because the rest of the European Union remains closed to American travelers, Croatia has also become an attractive meetup location for binational couples. Even now, as Croatia's shutdown begins and global cases are rising, Dubrovnik officials and business owners remain very optimistic. Already preparing for the next tourist season, they're putting their hopes in the success of the announced U.S. vaccine candidates and the enduring appeal of their city. Three new direct flights from the United States are in the works. Traveling Culturati hosted a travel webinar on Croatia a couple of months ago, and we're working on a trip for the destination in June or July 2021, so stay tuned for that. The International Air Transport Association and airline unions have urged governments to exempt airline crews from constant COVID-19 testing due to the excessive costs. According to calculations made by one unnamed airline, crew testing costs would be nearly $1 million a year for each single daily flight route, according to IATA. Airlines are willing to invest in safety that delivers meaningful outcomes, but that is not the case with unilateral, uncoordinated testing requirements. This is according to Ayata, Senior Vice President of Safety and Flight Operations. He also says that some government rules on testing breach the recommended ICAO global guidelines. The guidelines say crews should not be subject to the same screening or restrictions applied to other travelers, and it should be as non-invasive as possible. Alongside the International Federation of Airline Pilots Association, IATA is calling for priority vaccinations for airline pilots and cabin crew. Early inoculation of crew would keep flight services operational and put them in a strong position for the recovery. Captain Jack Netscar, IFALPA president, said daily COVID testing puts undue stress and pressure on crews in addition to the prohibitive costs to airlines. 
Delta has partnered with the CDC for international traveler contact tracing. They announced it will begin coronavirus contact tracing for travelers arriving in the United States. Last week in a press release, they announced they will be partnering with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for the launch, which is aimed at keeping international customers informed of potential COVID-19 exposure. The press release stated, along with our nine global airline partners, we are working with government agencies, health officials, and aviation authorities to offer safer travel at every point in your journey. So beginning December 15, Delta will begin asking customers who travel to the United States from an international location to voluntarily provide information for contact tracing and public health follow-up efforts. International arrivals will be asked for their full name, email address, address in the United States, primary phone number, and secondary phone number. The release says the data will be directly and securely transmitting to the CDC via U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The release indicated this will give the CDC access to the data in moments, dramatically decreasing the time it takes to notify affected customers via local health departments. Delta also announced expanded measures for employee testing, including increasing on-site rapid testing and offering at-home testing kits to all employees. These efforts continue to be critical to your health and safety as well as the future of our business, given that many of our customers still have concerns about air travel. While we enjoyed an increase in travel volumes over the Thanksgiving holiday, in reality, they were still less than half of what we normally fly during the holiday. Delta Airlines has also committed to blocking the middle seat until March 2021. American Airlines is expanding pre-flight testing in hopes of reopening travel-restricted states. American Airlines will offer pre-flight testing for domestic flights to give a jump start to travel within the United States with a growing number of states imposing quarantines on out-of-state travelers. American Airlines is expanding its at-home testing program through Let's Get Checked for customers traveling anywhere in the United States. American Airlines has previously offered pre-flight COVID-19 testing to places like Hawaii, a handful of Caribbean destinations, and the United Kingdom, but it's now expanding to cover all United States, including the 14 states and jurisdictions that now require some of the quarantine for travelers visiting from outside their region. Allison Taylor, Chief Customer Officer for American Airlines, says, as travel requirements continue to quickly evolve, we're simplifying the research and COVID-19 testing fulfillment process for an overall more seamless travel experience. States such as New York and Hawaii have begun allowing travelers to cut down on quarantine times or even eliminate them entirely by getting tested for COVID before entering. New York, for instance, has a 14-day quarantine for travelers, but people can reduce that to as little as three days of quarantine after arrival if they test negative for COVID-19 before they travel and after they arrive. The pre-flight tests aren't cheap, and the at-home version offered by Let's Get Checked retails for $119. American is offering rapid airport testing for passengers going from Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport to Hawaii for $250, or there's an option to get tested at North Texas Health Clinics. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website. It's TravelingCulturati.com. Connect with me on social media and join the travel club. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Travel and Leisure posted an article with the most forgotten items when packing. They are phone chargers, toothpaste, sunblock, umbrella, swimsuit, and hair comb and brush. Well, 
I never forget toothpaste because I keep it in a toiletry bag pre-packed and I keep too many tubes of toothpaste in my toiletry bag. Just chalk that up to experience. I have forgotten the other things because I don't always use them. Not every vacation or trip calls for a swimsuit, but when I think about it, there are times when I wish I had one. Since I have several, I think I'll just put one in my bag as a constant reminder. As for the umbrella, this too is an item I really don't like to carry, not even at home. I keep a hat with me for wet weather or a rain scarf. I find that I'm rarely in a situation when I'm in the rain long enough for it to be a problem. It's up to you though. If it's an item you'd like to have, once again, pre-pack it and never take it out. This means you'll always have one available for you. Sunblock, that too is one of those things that you don't feel you need unless the destination or activities call for it. You could buy a travel-sized one and keep it in your toiletry bag. However, here's a side note. Why is sunblock so expensive to buy at your destination? I know, it's a convenience purchase and most of the time when you need it, you're buying it from the souvenir shop or at the airport. Yikes. As for the hair comb and brush, I usually have a protective hairstyle, AKA braids, and I don't need these tools. I know some of you are saying the hotel always has a comb. Well, ha, not for black girls or for black girl hair. <laughs> Those tiny cheap combs just won't do. This truly is a traveling while black moment. That toy hair comb will rip out our fragile hair. Yes, our hair is fragile. That's why it coils. For most of our hair types, we need a wide tooth comb. So this too is something you should always keep packed in your bag. Just buy an extra one to keep there. Is there an item that you often forget that wasn't mentioned here? Is there an item that you've forgotten that you really needed? Tell me all about it. Just send me an email or connect with me on social media. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Well, today, as I told you, we're going to be talking to healthcare professional Yolanda Como, and she's here with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. And she's sharing what the health experts are saying about traveling during the pandemic, how to travel during the pandemic, what precautions to take, your COVID traveler checklist, and the vaccine and how it may impact travel. Well, hello, Yolanda, and welcome back. Hello, Jamal. I'm glad to be back. What are the health experts saying? On the news and workplaces, the health experts, they really are advising against traveling during this period because of the surges that's happening. Specifically here in the U.S., the surges are really like out of control. They're predicting all the deaths that's going to occur daily from this Going on until the next three months and it's, it's a little scary however if you really need to travel and many people out there would still will travel they're going to travel now they're going to travel later and go against it and it's the information they've been given if you really need to travel in any event you need to choose your um, travel carefully and important um, to remember to follow precautions um, specifically the CDC guidelines um, to have reduced the risk to yourself and to your loved one when you're traveling. So what are those CDC guidelines? Um, what they've been saying, wear your mask. You must wear a mask um, if you're out and about, around individuals, um, social distance, keep your distance um, six, at least six feet if you're in crowds away from each other. And also um, your hand hygiene, wash your hands. And every chance you get, you can sanitize your hands or even wash them with soap and water. And I know we're going to probably repeat some of those same things throughout the program today because those things are very important. And what's interesting to me is that these things are very, very simple, yet it just seems with these surges that maybe people aren't doing them, whether you are on the road or at home, because I know at one point they said it wasn't so much people traveling, but it was just people relaxing those 
habits and visiting and doing the things that they've advised against that has increased those surges as well. So how can we be a responsible traveler? Being responsible would definitely include getting tested prior to your travels and also upon returning. Expect to encounter destination practices when you arrive, like temperature checks will be required and you may and probably will have to show proof of your test results. They want to see negative test results and what period of time you were negative. And also you may have to bring a completed health form with you. Now, know the recommendations of your destination before you leave. You're probably going to have to quarantine once you arrive to your destination for a length of time before you can venture out and take in the city and the businesses in that area. Stay true to the social distancing when you're traveling and just continue to practice your great hand hygiene rituals while you're there. And definitely, definitely wear your mask. Bring extra masks. Bring enough for your travels when you're going out and about. So the final thing you really should know is what you need to do, all the recommendations when you return home. Because you probably, depending on what state you live in, you're going to have to self-quarantine when you return. And also consider who you are going to be going around and who's at risk, the people that are at risk. When you return home, you probably will not be able to see them for a week or two. And also check with your employer if it's safe for you to come back to work. Your employer is going to have restrictions as well. Yeah, you know, there are some places of employment, especially if you're not in employment where you can work remotely. If you're going into an office, you're going to be around other coworkers they may have those requirements that if you have traveled, that they kind of consider that as being exposed. So you can't come back into the office until you have self-quarantined for 14 days. So you have to ask yourself, am I willing to either give up pay or use more time off to self-quarantine when I come back? Or they may just say, we feel that there's the possibility that you may have been exposed. So we want to take that precaution. And so you may or may not have time. So it may mean that you're taking additional time off without pay. And then some of those points that you made, you know, I really want to talk about because I think what we don't often think about, especially during now, those who are traveling is how does that differ now? And like you said, for example, not going around people at risk. So maybe even to consider if you're living with somebody at risk, is it a good thing to do or not? Or do you have space within your home to quarantine away from that person or those persons? And then just making sure you don't come right back into your routine and expose them or potentially expose them. Now, what can we expect when we travel at a destination? You're going to have to do some research for your own homework prior to leaving home and traveling. So wherever you're staying at your destination, you should seek out and make sure that you know where healthcare facilities are located and pharmacy stores and shops are located just in case you become ill. Also, are the facilities to you, will it be adequate enough for you to receive healthcare at those facilities? And, you know, just know the proximities of the locations of those facilities prior to, you know, wherever you're going to be staying. If you're going to be staying at a hotel, a bed and breakfast, Airbnbs, wherever you're going to be staying, you have to know if you're going to be taken care of if you do come down with an illness. And also consider your travel insurance. So I'm not sure how they would cover now. I'm sure travel insurances have changed their policies in terms of people traveling during COVID as well. So if you are going to get travel insurance, know their policies because I'm sure it has changed. Well, yeah. And even if you become ill, what facilities are going to be available to you? I think that for me would be a determination, especially if I'm traveling abroad, but also if you're traveling within the United States, if you're going to a small town, we've been hearing that a lot of hospitals are overwhelmed and some small towns in the United States don't have adequate facilities or you may have to travel long distances to get there. And some of these small towns are sending their people to the next largest town. So whether you're staying at home or abroad, you may want to consider 
Is this a place I can go or should go based on their adequate or inadequate facilities? Understanding that if you require hospitalization, what does that hospitalization look like in another country or in another city or town, especially a small town? And yeah, with travel insurance, it's always a good idea to have because some things are going to cover you regardless if you get ill. They may have some COVID policies, but if you get sick, you just get sick and it's going to help cover some of those expenses in the event that you do. Now, how should we prepare for a hotel stay? Hotels, naturally, they're not at the capacity that they were pre-COVID, but people are still going and staying at hotels. So your check-in process is going to be different. So you want to read about that in terms of before you get to the facility. And you should consider e-check-in. A lot of hotels are offering that now. And just know what's open and what isn't open, what's offered, any amenities in the hotel. There may not be a lot of things available on the property for you. So you have to decide if you want to stay at a particular property, restaurant, if there's tourist sites going to be available for you. So my guess is, is this trip really going to be worth it? Because, I mean, for instance, Disney, they've laid out thousands of their workforce, and they're not even open, depending on where you're traveling to, if you're going to Florida, if you're going to Los Angeles. So if that was one of the trips you want to take with your children, you may not have the joyous time. But know the housekeeping policies at the hotel and how often they're turning their rooms over. Yes. So if it's a high-functioning hotel and you're turning rooms over one or twice a week or five times a week, that could be a major difference. I mean, that means five families of guests have stayed in that room this week alone. So is that somewhere that you would want to stay? You would have to download the hotel's app if you want to get some keyless entries, and then that way they send you a code. So if that's something that you want to do. But yeah, most sites will have a list of what their new policies and procedures are, or either upon making your reservation or after you've made your reservation, most times they will send you an email to let you know. But you definitely want to ask those other questions like what's open and what's not open so that you can be prepared before you go. I think the worst thing is when you go with one expectation and something is completely different versus knowing all together what to expect, and then you go there with that in mind. So what are the precautions we should take when flying? You can find out how the airline itself is seating the customers. When COVID initially happened, the center seat was empty. So there may be a first and third seat on the flight, no one in between you guys. But some airlines are allowing that now. So I'm not sure if that's something that you want to encounter if you decide to travel right now. Also, flying during off-peak times. Also, they may want to know if you were tested recently. There might be some testing on the site at the airport uh, by the gates. There's definitely going to be temperatures taken at the gate. They may want you to provide documentation at the gate. Your test, how are you feeling health-wise? Have you traveled recently? Have you been around anyone with symptoms? So expect to answer a lot of questions when you get to the airport and when you get to the gate. And that's going to also differ based on where you're going, if you're flying domestically or internationally, if you're doing long haul versus short haul or which airline you fly even. Based on my last check, Delta is the only one who has extended that blocking of the middle seat. They have actually done so through March of 2021. JetBlue said that they will block the middle seat until the end of December. I don't know if they're going to update that. All of the other airlines domestically, at least, like American and United and Southwest, they are no longer blocking the middle seat. So it would really behoove you to, in those cases, maybe fly off-peak or contact the airline and see what the flight capacity is because that's going to really differ. And, you know, I had a flight booked on Delta Airlines and they sent over 
with a confirmation how travel has changed and what you can expect with Delta. And it made me feel really positive about it with all of the information that they provided, everything from government requirements for COVID travel requirements to mask requirements. They're protocols for cleaning the aircraft, what you can expect. They're providing videos, different links to TSA, as well as their own site where they've provided videos on what travel looks like now. So it was a very detailed email about what you can expect now when traveling, especially on Delta. Some people still need to travel, not just those who just really want to travel and get away. But there's some people who really need to get out and get to point A and get to point B. So that's good information to know. And I would advise everyone to try and get all that information prior to leaving and just know what they're going to be up against when they go yes. to an airport or go down the plane. Yes, it's very important to prepare yourself before you go. It's not just a matter of getting your airline ticket and going to the airport. Now, what about the steps that we should take before traveling? Packing prior to traveling, you wanna make sure you have your mask. Always wear your mask. Some people are walking around with the face shield. I would do that if I'm in a populous area like airports, because there are gonna be a lot of people and they're gonna be walking around. And if you do not wear safety eyewear, like safety goggles, an eye shield will help protect your eyes. That's what the face shield is for. So that goes just over the mask itself. So remember to bring enough masks for the duration of your travel. Some people are opting for gloves. I don't see a lot of glove wearers now, like when you're going about into stores and, and doing the things that you're doing when you're out and about. But it won't be a bad idea to make sure you bring disposable gloves as well. Yeah, I think it's circumstantial. Just have them in the event you're in a situation where you feel like you really need to put them on. But just understanding with gloves, they're not to be worn indefinitely. You know, after you're in a certain situation, you have to take them off. Right. I mean, some people will wear them for everything. They're touching all these surfaces with the glove on, not realizing they're carrying around all these germs. So, you know, bring your hand sanitizers, bring your hand disinfected cloths, the pre-moistened ones, and also remember your TSA security, the amount of liquids that is allowed. So when you are bringing your disinfectants, make sure you have the right amount in the bottles unless you put it in a check bag. Well, actually now they have changed that rule only for hand sanitizers. So TSA will allow you to bring up to 12 ounces of hand sanitizer. That does not apply to any other liquids. It only applies to hand sanitizer. Just to kind of run down that again, our COVID travelers checklist, we should have disposable masks. Now, how many do you recommend per day? Well, definitely one to two masks per day during the travel. Personally, I wear two masks at one time, the surgical mask. If you wear a cloth mask, I recommend that you wear a surgical mask, like a filter mask with that. Over top of it, okay. Yeah, you can put it on top or even inside it, but you should wear something in addition to it. Well, the only thing about a cloth mask is you have to wash it. So when I'm at home, I wear my cloth mask and then every other day I wash it if I'm going out. But if I'm away away, then I do the disposable only because you may not have the washing facilities. Or the and I like the disposable. You Are know, they still readily things. available? Oh, they're very available. I've seen them all over. I don't think the city or in the state, in the beginning, people were crying about there wasn't enough equipment, there wasn't enough PPE. But I don't hear that anymore. And I really believe that there's enough out there and people are they're readily available to anywhere, anywhere you go. If you go to any facility or business, they have masks available. Actually, they'll give you one when you walk in. They'll tell you to take a mask, sanitize your hands, 
So they're plentiful right now. Well, that's good to know. I know when I've gone to the doctor's office, they actually make me take off my cloth one and put on a disposable surgical mask. So again, your masks, two or three a day for the disposable ones, disposable gloves for certain occasions, not for everything. And remember, you can't wear them all the time, just like the doctors do. You have to take them off. If you choose to bring a face shield or have one with you, it is a good idea. And I like it because it covers the eyes. And you really want to keep your eyes covered as well. I mean, I wear glasses, but I also wear safety goggles. So those are protecting my eyes, and I always have my mask. But to have a face shield over you occasionally is a good thing, particularly if you wear contact lenses and no glasses at all. You should have that added protection. Let's talk about the vaccine, because that has certainly been top of mind for everybody, and it's really what we're all talking about. So what's being said now about the vaccine? Well, what we know is a pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, and a biotechnical, and Moderna, both have requested emergency authorization from FDA, United States, so they can get approval so that United States can begin vaccinating the citizens. And I'm hearing that that's going to come happen very, very soon. Within a matter of a day or two, they should get approval. But besides those two companies who their data anyway is saying that they have 95% efficacy of the vaccination, there's other companies out there who have developed a vaccine as well who have not yet requested an authorization because they're in stage three of their testing. So there's going to be other companies coming out with the vaccination, but these two have definitely shown that they can vaccinate um, populations of people and have some very high results of coverage for the individuals with this virus. So everybody's excited about it. In fact, the UK has already began vaccinating their citizens. Yes, the very first person in the United Kingdom was a woman in her 90s and also a a man in his 90s. He was 92, and it was so cute. He said that he wanted to make sure that he could see and spend time with his grandchildren. He expects to be around for a bit longer, and he wants to be able to enjoy his grandchildren. A lot of people are trying to make the decision if they are going to get the vaccination or not because they felt like it was so quick for the vaccination to come out. So it depends on the education that they put out there, but they are going to give you the information to let you know the efficacy of this medication. I feel pretty good about it, to be honest with you. Based on what I've read, and I've done some research on what I've heard on the news, I've looked it up, I've done my own due diligence, and this is what they call an mRNA, which is really, it's a receptor blocker. We know all vaccines fight the virus, but it does it in a different way. I feel very comfortable with it, and I'm waiting until it's available, which brings me to my next question. When is it likely to be available to everyone? Well, to everyone, the last I've heard, they're talking more about spring, that the whole population would have, it. I guess, more of a mass vaccination. But they're going to start slowly vaccinating in stages, like on the top of the list, who should get it first. And that's going to probably start happening in a matter of of weeks, maybe a couple of weeks from now. But the general population, with all the education and information sessions, they're going to start having town halls and everything going to the general population. They start getting vaccinated maybe early spring to beginning of summer. We're talking May, June, all through the rest of the year. I think that's soon enough because I think if we're doing it in stages and those who need it the most, then the rest of us can just keep our cool heads and do what we're supposed to be doing as far as wearing the masks and everything, then I can wait until April, May, June, or July. Now, what do you think about the vaccine and how it will impact travel? Well, I think it would increase the confidence of traveling, specifically to those who have been apprehensive about traveling. So once the general population begins to get vaccinated, and I have to tell you, once the population has been vaccinated, you still will have to take the precautions of wearing masks and the other precautions, hand hygiene and doing your social distancing for a while until everybody is vaccinated and, as they say, start having the herd immunity start to occur. 
So don't think just because you got vaccinated, you can throw the mask away up to the side. That's not going to happen that quickly. But I do believe more people will begin to start traveling and they will start traveling with confidence. They won't be as apprehensive. And I think that's a good thing. And then, you know, you'll start seeing more normalcy in our lives. You know, people will start gathering with each other, but continue to do it safely. But they will have more confidence and seeing friends and families and gathering more. Yes. Everything we do is one step closer to normalcy. <laughs> and exactly. yeah. it takes some time, but everything that we do, we're participating, we're being responsible individuals. And I just want to say that everything that we're saying today is just information. It's our opinions and exactly. it's not an indication of what you should or shouldn't do. That choice is, of course, up to you, just like with everything, doing your own due diligence. Anything we've said today, check it out, look it up, do your own research. And that's what you should be doing anyway, if you have questions about things. But we want to make sure that you're armed with enough information so that you can make the right decisions. And if you decide to travel, that you are a responsible traveler, not just for yourself, but to fellow travelers, the places that you're visiting and your loved ones at home, especially those at risk. So Yolanda, thank you so much for joining me today and giving us such a wealth of information. Anytime. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow me on social media and join that travel club. Yes, I know we're not traveling right now, but we will be traveling very soon. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. But we like to delve into culture. And today, we're checking out the culture of Ghana. And on the phone with me to tell us all about it is Elvis Wallace-Bruce, a local tour guide in Ghana. Hello, Elvis. Welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. How is it there in Ghana right now? How's the weather? How's life treating you? All right. Uh, Currently, the weather is okay. Uh, We are approaching that. And today is Election Day in Ghana. So it's left with about some few minutes, about some um, two minutes to end, end the polls. And then Ghanaians will be anxiously waiting to find out who has won the presidency. Whether oh, okay. it's going to be the president who's going to retain his seat or the former president who lost the elections in 2016 is taking a comeback. Daniel are waiting whether he'll be given another game. Ah, okay. So since we're talking about today is election day, why don't we talk a little bit about the government's structure in Ghana? How many okay. years does the president hold office? The president is elected to serve a four-year term, and then he can go for re-election to serve another four years, and then that is it. So it's definitely it's structured along the same lines as the United States of America. I and see. coincidentally also, the year that America hosts their presidential election, Ghana also hosts its presidential election. Great. So we're on the same cycle every four years and maximum two terms. Yes, and- that is it. Okay. And then what about more locally? How is the government structured there when you're talking about your different regions? How are your different regions referred to? Okay. We call them regions, just as you have have mentioned. But let me say that below the executive, we have the legislature. And in Ghana, we have 275 parliamentarians who are elected every present their people in parliament. We have been 275 parliamentarians. Currently, we have 16 regions. Until the coming in of this current administration, we have 10 regions. But one of the campaign messages of our current president is that when he comes, he's going to subdivide some of the larger regions because uh, development that doesn't go to certain place and true to his ways, he was able to give us additional six regions. 
Now, each region is having a regional minister who is appointed by the president and approved by parliament. Appointed by the president and approved by parliament. Now, we have district assemblies. Currently in Ghana, we have 216 districts spread across the country. And each of them is headed by a district chief executive who is also appointed by the president and approved by the district assembly. We have assembly members who are elected to the district assemblies by their electoral area. And they go to the assembly to see to the development of their various areas. So that is how our government structure is from the top to the local area. Tell me something. Have you ever had a president who refused to accept the results of the election? In 2012, the current president refused the results. And the constitution says that if you refuse, if you refuse to accept, the only thing you can do is to go to the Supreme Court, send a petition to challenge the election results, which he did. But unfortunately, the Supreme Court judged the, the sitting president then to have been properly elected. So he lost his, his, his petition. I see. And you do understand why I'm asking you that. We have the exact same thing kind of happening here right now. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know you have that. You have that case now. So is it one person, one vote? Yes. One person, one vote. You can't vote more than one. You have only one vote. And then when you finish voting, there's an indelible ink that you must dip your finger into. And that indelible ink, as the West says, indelible. So it will be there for a long time. I did mine. I did vote around 12 noon Ghana time. And as of now, I cannot even wash my indelible ink off. So one person, one vote. Okay. Well, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit more about the values and traditions of the Ghanaian people. What would you say are the most distinctive? For values and traditions of Ghana, the family plays an important role in everything that we do, both nuclear and extended. For example, when one is going to marry, there's no way that the couple involved are the only two people going to get somewhere and say they are married. The family must be part of everything that we do. So from birth to death, the importance of the family is key. Also, respect for the elderly is one tradition and value that we can never throw away. There's a time when you can do something and people find it so negative, they can ask you, don't you have an elderly person in your house? Because it's expected that if you have an elderly person in your house, that elderly person will teach you the traditions and values of the society. So respect for the elderly is also key. Then respect and honor for our traditional rulers is also very important. Before the coming in of Europeans to give us our current political governance that we have, it was our traditional rulers who were in charge of governance. They were the head of the executive, the judiciary, the legislature. They were the war leaders. They were the spiritual leaders. So we revered them so much. And I'm saying that the constitution bars them from participating in partisan politics. Because in case there's any dispute, they must stand in the middle to resolve all the disputes. So that is one um, tradition and values that we have. Then proper social conduct is expected of every Ghanaian. When you go to town and you do something adversely, it is affecting you and your family. So the family, like I said, from the first instance, the importance of the family is very key. So everything that you do you are told to make sure that you don't bring the name of the family into disrepute. Also, friendliness, good neighborliness, is one traditional value that we have. You must live in peace with everybody. You must be able to help friends, help your neighbors. You must get involved in communal activities and make sure that everything that you do, it benefits everybody in the society. Handshakes is one thing that we love so much. When there's a dispute between two groups of people or two people, when the issue is resolved, they are asked to shake hands. The shaking of the hands means that you have agreed to live in peace. Another thing that we love doing is 
inviting people to take part in our meal. I think those are values that the world can really live by. In the family structure, do generations live together or within the same community or is the household separated by just that one particular family, husband, wife, and children, or are there multiple generations within a household? In Ghana, we have multiple generations living within a house to a very large extent. So we normally refer to those houses as our family homes or the family houses. Right now, when I, I'm living with my wife and my children, but when I go to my family house, I have my cousins, my uncles and aunties, and their children living in that house. So for some of us, because of maybe uh, due to our work, the workplaces and where we live, we tend to move. And also, some of us also want to have our privacy with our immediate family, that is the wife and the children. But to a very large extent, I can tell you that we have a lot of generations living in the same house, especially when you go to the indigenous area. And how many ethnic groups are there in Ghana? In Ghana, currently, we have five main ethnic groups. Are there major differences between the ethnic groups, or are they pretty much similar with small differences? We have similarities and differences. For example, when it comes to naming of our children for their current ethnic group, they name you after the day of the week that you were born. For those of us along the coast, especially the Ghana-Adangbe ethnic group, we have the extracted name. So even before the child is born, if the child is a boy or the child is a girl, we know the name that that child will take. Then when it comes to similarities, since yes, we all take the values of the nation at once. There must be importance and respect to the elderly. We must make sure that the family's name is always on top. And we must make sure that we follow due process in all the rites of passage. That is for birth, for puberty, for marriage, and for death. We all do the same thing. Yeah. I was given the name when I visited Ghana of Aku Sika. So, oh, okay. That is the name for the water raising people. You went to Togome, right? Yes, I did. Were you born on a Wednesday? Yes, I was. Uh-huh. So they added the Sika, which means wealth or gold or money. So Aku Sika means a Wednesday girl who will be rich and who is rich. <laughs> ah, lovely, lovely. Now you named one of the main five major groups. What are the other four major ethnic groups in Ghana? Okay, so let me give you all the five. We have the Akan being the largest, then Mole Dagbani. Mole Dagbani, they are found in the northern part of the country. Then we have the Ewe. The Ewe are to the eastern part of the country. Then we have Ga Adangbe. They are found in Greater Accra. Then we have the Guan. The Guan, G-U-A-N. The Guans are said to be the earlier settlers in modern-day Ghana. And they can be found in all the regions of Ghana except Greater Accra and Ashanti. And when they are found in a particular region, that region's language influences the language that they have originally. So with that, how many languages are spoken in Ghana? In terms of languages, we have over 50 languages spoken in Ghana. But the major ones are Akan, Ewe, Ga, Dangbe, and Dagbani. Wow. And English is our official language. Elvis, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I know that there's a lot more that we can talk about. Thank you for sharing your culture with us. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.